We're in 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you don't have one on your phone or your tablet, you can raise your hand real high. And uh, Brett and DJ uh, will love to loan you a Bible so you can follow with us. Most of you know we're making our way systematically through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. Uh, it's kind of how, the, you know, just the way that we roll here. We find ourselves in chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. So we're kind of just scooting towards the end of chapter 1 here. I entitled our message this morning, Our Redemption Value. Our Redemption Value. All right. Is everyone good? You guys have your Bibles and you're tabbed or flipped over there? All right, well, if you're there, I think most of you know, I'm going to invite you to stand with me just as we honor God and his word. And just for a little bit, you don't have to stand very long. I'm going to back up, though, at verse 17, just to keep some context for us so that we can have a little bit of understanding of what Peter's talking about and where it stems from. He says, verse 17, or writes, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And here's what we'll focus. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, or your Bible might say perishable things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But, here's the contrast, but we were redeemed. That's the idea. Redeemed with what? Well, with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter writes, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest. Christ was revealed. The gospel was displayed for us in these last times for you. For you and for me. Who, verse 21, through him. Christ believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope and the idea is that they are solid, that's concreted, it is established in God. Amen? All right. Would you take a moment, say hello to somebody, introduce yourself to somebody new, a number of visitors, and then you can have a seat right after. Anyone here ever take the time to save and then recycle cans or bottles for money? Three of us? All right. Hold on a couple of you. In the States, most of you know, there are you know, certain products, cans, glass bottles, I think some plastics. Actually, on the bottle or on the label, it has what's called the CRV, right? The, I think it stands for the California Redemption Value. And, um, and so what you can do is, right, you, you take the cans or you take those bottles or plastics, wherever it might be that you're recycling, and you bring it to a, a designated place. And then based upon the value of that, and, and in California, it's one value, and there's other states. I think I have a picture. Um, there, there are other values of that. Uh, sometimes it's five cents, I think. Sometimes it's 10 cents, depending on what you're recycling. And basically, you bring it back, and you get, you get cash, right? You get the money back for that. Um, and so, you know, you get a little bit of re redemption value. They, they do that here in Japan, and they do that here in Okinawa as well. 
um, although it's not printed on the label. So uh, one time we found out, our family found out, and so we decided, well, you know, we, we have a lot of cans, and so we, we wanted to, as a family, we're going to save cans and recycle cans and save that money, and we're going to go do something fun with it. And so after some time, it felt like we had like a bazillion cans. There was just our whole porch and balcony was filled with bags of cans that we had rinsed and crushed, you know, and the kids participated, and, and we just had cans galore all over the place. So we loaded up our big van, we loaded up our kid, little kids at that time, and uh, headed off to the recycle center to get our, our fat stack of cash. Um, <laughs> You know, dreams of like, what are we going to do, Dad? Like, oh, we're going to go to Disneyland. We, we might buy a new car or a boat. It'll be, it'll be awesome, you know. And, and so we get there, and we unload all our cans. It felt like just hours of unloading all these cans. Gave it to the guy. Sometime later, he comes over, and, and he has the money. And, and he hands me something like 600 yen. <laughs> True story. I'm like, what? There must be a mistake. Like, is this just the coin part of it? Like, nope, that's it. So no Magic Kingdom for us. No new car. We walked two blocks down to Family Mart, and we, and we all got an ice cream. Man, I commend those Okinawa Oji-sans. You ever see those guys crack a dawn on their bikes? Like, getting the bags? That is a serious side hustle, right, those guys do. Like my hat, tip my hat to the, those guys. Uh, apparently there's other things that you can recycle that have a little more value. Uh, we found out actually here at church, right, we have some industrial, we have a commercial waste bin that we use. And some guys have come by one time and were grabbing stuff out, looking for copper wiring and some old appliances. Apparently if you, you know, trade in copper, it's worth a lot more. One time we even had these guys who took all of our old computers. And I was like, yeah, more power to you, go for it. Like, why do you want them? And they're like, oh, we're looking for gold. I'm like, there's gold in the computer? Like, give them back, you know? And, <laughs> but apparently it's a, a negligible amount. I, I didn't know that, but I'm like, yeah, go, go for it. Because, you know, I, the price of gold keeps going up, right? And so I'm like, all right, you know, good, good on them. Uh, but I told Christy, though, Honey, when, it, when I die, make sure you get my fillings, because um, that's your inheritance. That's, you know, you're going to, you'll live for it, you know, you'll do well with my teeth. Anyways, in this passage before us, Peter is writing about redemption. And specifically, he's writing about your redemption and my redemption and the value of that redemption. And he lays out for us very plainly, not really what was redeemed for us, but who was redeemed for us and and the worth of that redemption. Peter gives us the details of the transaction and what it meant for, well, the original audience as they would read it. And of course, as we read it today, that's the question we want to ask. What does it mean for us today? What's the point of this? And What's the application of this? How do I put a handle on these truths and carry them out with us, uh, you know, today? Uh, I do want to let you know that while we often try to seek for principles that are timeless that we can then apply to our lives today, 
I'll just tell you ahead of time, there's just one application point in this passage. One big application point, but it has several points of affirmation. Peter wants us to know something or really to remember something or some things. And so that's how we're going to outline our message this morning. You know, there are times where God in application just directs us to know something or do something. Sometimes it's even just to remember something that we, we already know. And so that's, that's kind of where we're going today. All right. I draw your attention to verse 18, where we get the application, knowing knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. I'm going to pause there just right off the bat. In the previous verses, in context, Peter has been writing to us, to his original audience, about what does it mean to be a child of God and the conduct as God's kids that God expects of us and wants of us. And we talked about how because God loves us, he directs us to certain things for our benefit and for our blessing. And we have to make sure we have the right perspective of that. Right? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, everything about you and me changes. Our old sinful BC days, our former ways that's all done. It's been, it's erased. And we are made brand new in Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, if anybody be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. And so as such, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been given a new identity. Along with the new identity, you have, in a sense, a new destiny. You belong to God. You're his and you're going to heaven, right? We have a new identity. We have a new destiny. God in his great love, in his great mercy, by his great grace, through Christ alone, saved you, adopted you, brought you into his family. John the beloved in his gospel writes in the first chapter, John 1, verses 13 or 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Children born not of blood, nor the desire, the will of man, but born of God. We enter into a spiritual relationship, a spiritual family. And God the Father then bestows upon you and me his name and his nature. That's where we were last in Peter. And Peter would say, if because that is true, because you call upon the Father, know then that we should not live like we used to live in our BC days, before Christ days, in our old ways, our old sinful, selfish habits. Don't act like you did. Don't tell the jokes like you did. Don't go to the places that were sinful like you used to go. Because God made you holy and God wants us then to be holy. And if you're with us, we talked about our position in Christ, right? that we've been justified, clean record. But also God saved us out of the world, but we still have the world in us and sin in us. And, and so we're in this process of then being sanctified. Right? 
that we're made holy, but God calls us then to pursue holiness and pursue purity as the Spirit leads us. Because God is holy, so God says, hey, I want you to be holy. And Peter adds to that to remind us, listen, life is short. We don't have time to be playing games. Uh, He reminds us the importance of making sure we don't uh, have a, a flippant attitude about it, that we, we're to cultivate a, a godly fear, a healthy reverence of who God is and his goodness and his majesty, and that's a more, very important part of our, of our holiness. Now Peter, continuing to write, addresses, if you will, the divine transaction that makes us holy. Now, he led with these facts as he opened his letter, but he revisits them here once again. And I want to suggest to you that Peter will come back to this from time to time because he wants to make sure that we, of course, his audiences, they read it originally, though we are called to obedience and though we're called to certain actions and attitudes as followers of Christ, that we cannot forget the, the dynamic of a relationship. Maybe I'll say it that way. Because what we do really is the result or the fruit of who we are. And who we are is really the result and the fruit of what Christ has done. And what Christ has done is the fruit and the manifestation really of who God is. So because God is love and he loved you, he sent his son Jesus to live and die for you and for me. We have a new identity and now as a new identity, then we do these things as a result of that. Remember we talked about, we don't want to get that backwards. To think, well, I have to do these things then God will love me. And if I can just behave a certain way and, and, and act a certain way and do all these good things, then maybe I can get to heaven and maybe God will love me. No, God, God loves you. We, uh, we start with that first. God is sovereign. God is just. God is kind. God is good. God is love. God is light. <laughs> and because he's all of those things and he loves you, the Bible says he demonstrated that even while you and I were yet sinners, we, had nothing to, we wanted nothing to do with God. God still proved and demonstrated his love by sending Christ for you and for me. See, in order for us to, if I can use this term, qualify for heaven, or rate it, or get in, there's a standard. And the standard is perfection. That's the standard. The standard is holiness, complete holiness. There's a problem though. And the problem is none of us are perfect and none of us are perfectly holy. And that problem leads to what we'll just say is bad news. And we understand that in the practical If you go to an amusement park, if you go to to Disneyland, after you recycle more than a bazillion cans. (laughs) Maybe it's copper wiring that I got in. Anyways, in order to get on some rides, you know, you show up, you have your kids, your family, some friends. 
on, on some of the rides, there is a bar that says you have to be this height in order to ride this ride. You ever show up and your kid's just like just short, you're like, just step on your tippy toes, right? Like, can't make it. My son, Ben, uh, we've never had that problem with him. <laughs> Even at three years old, he's like, we're like, oh, he makes it. Okay, you know, so he's just a giant boy. But there's a bar at the entrance, and if you don't measure up, you don't ride. And then I find, found out this past October, Chris and I went to Universal Studios for our anniversary. And then I find out if you don't fit in the seat in some of them, you don't ride. They're standing in line. And it's kind of humbling. The person's like looking at me. They're like, come over here. I thought, oh, I'm going to get special privilege. And then there's like a, just a trial seat <laughs> around a corner. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm a master at sucking in my tummy. <laughs> Another one, I'm like, I don't want to ride that ride anyways. <laughs> so I eat my churro. Anyway. <laughs> There's a bar. There's a bar to get into heaven. And its measurement is perfection. And the Bible says we don't me all, we all fall short of that bar. We don't measure up. Nothing that we do uh, will make us perfect. Nothing, you know, no sacrifice, no works, no religion. We'll never measure up. You can't tuck in your tummy enough. You can't stand in your tippy toes enough. It's nothing of our own effort. Nothing we do, no good works will ever make us holy. That's a big problem. But God. But God in his great mercy. But God in his great love. God provided a solution for the problem of our sin. And so God came then in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. And he, Christ then lived a perfect life sinless life. And then Christ then died on a cross on a hill called Calvary. That's where we get our church name from. To take your place and to take my place as a substitute for you and for me, as a proxy for you and for me. I've shared this story before. I didn't share it with first service because we have no third service. Um, years ago, I was standing in line at an airport. I'm going to get on a plane. We're in Narita. There's this group in front of me, businessmen, Japanese businessmen. And you can tell the, the old, there's an older guy and kind of some younger guys. And just by observation and listening, I'm like, oh, he's the boss and the rest are kind of the employees. And so we're standing in the line. And then I noticed though the boss, he has a first class ticket. But we're in the, you know, we're in the economy line. And at some point, he then hands his first class ticket, or he tries to hand his first class ticket to the, one of the young guys that's with him. And they're like, like all of a sudden, no, no, like, you know, it's okay, it's okay. And, and they're kind of going back and forth. And I'm like, I, I have a solution to this problem. <laughs> I, I can step, I have a creative solution for this problem. So after some back and forth, the, 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 Old, the guy with the first class ticket basically insists. And so the young guy takes it. Of course, he's bowing. You can tell he's like so appreciative, but he can't hide his smile, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, good for that guy, you know. <laughs> right? For me, I was like, man, what, what a blessing that that guy just gave him his seat. And it seemed like, you know, he didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. It was just, they're just standing in line. 
And all he had to do was receive it. Of course, he received it reluctantly, but he received it. And they traded places. That guy didn't buy that ticket. That, that's the gospel for us, right? Christ came and, and, and we have the, an economy class ticket of junk. <laughs> and, and Christ has perfection and righteousness and a perfect standing before the Lord. And he says, I'm going to trade places with you. I will take your judgment. I will take your sin. And I'm going to give you my right standing before the Father. All because God loves you. All because Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he rose again. You and I have forgiveness. You and I have new life. You, you and I have been redeemed. And, and what was the price of that? Peter says, knowing this, so we know this, you haven't been redeemed. Starts with a negative. You were not redeemed with gold or with silver, with corruptible things. This is the one big point of our application. This is where we start, and everything else is going to be anchored off of this. Peter wants us to know something and know it well. And to know that in God's great love for you, God redeemed you. God restored you. God made you his own. He redeemed you from your sin. And maybe you're like, I already know that. Good. Let it sink in a little deeper. It's, I, I really believe it's good for our soul just to repeat and rehearse the gospel over and over again. In fact, Peter in his second letter is going to write, and he's going to say something to the effect of like, listen, I'm writing these things to you. I know that you know them already. I know that you already have a notebook full of these truths. But as long as I still have breath in my mouth and life in my body, I'm going to continue to write these things to you so that you would know them, although you're already established in the present truth. And so there's an element where it's good for us, as, especially as believers, to be reminded of these wonderful, glorious truths. To remember and rehearse and repeat and preach the gospel to ourselves. And why? Remember the, the context of even of Peter's letters. He's writing to a group of believers in the first century who are going through some rough stuff. And part of that going through some rough stuff was there's a possible temptation, and we experience it too, that when we go through hard knocks of life, that we can then, we're not anchored well in our faith, have come to the wrong conclusion that God doesn't care, God doesn't see, God doesn't love me, or God isn't real. And circumstances then tempt us to doubt the love of God and the goodness of God and our place. And so Peter's like, make sure this gets anchored down. I'm going to keep, keep hammering this thing. God loved you. God was the one that came after you. God saved you. And he saved you from your sin. And so it leads us to this question then. How precious and valuable are you to God that he would do that? Like, how much does God love you? Because you weren't, and I, we weren't redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold. Now, silver and gold are, are valuable things. They're valuable then, they're valuable today. I have friends who are like, Rick, you need to invest in gold, buy gold. I'm like, didn't you tell me about crypto? Like, right near the... They're like, money's going to crash, you got to have... I'm like, I got my feelings, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. 
I mean, what's the redemption value of aluminum cans? A bazillion for six ice creams. That's the redemption value. What's the redemption value of a silver platter or gold earrings? Well, it's a little bit more. Right? The redemption value of the thing that's being redeemed is determined by then what you get in exchange for it. So if, if you were to redeem a bazillion cans of gold and you got six ice creams, you'd be like, hey, that's, that's, not, that's not a fair trade. It's a terrible deal then for the person who's redeeming something so valuable. So let's, let's track what Peter's saying. Peter's pointing out to us, you want to know how much God values you? He didn't bring a bunch of uh, cans to come get you. He didn't bring gold or silver to come get you. Verse 19 says, he gave his, the life of his son to redeem you. How much is your life worth to God? How, much are, how valuable are you to him? How, how much does he love you? Listen, I, I, I know sometimes there's discussion, and I, and I agree with it, that we have to be careful that we don't have a, a me-centric gospel. That we need to remember it, it's God who loved us. It's God who pursued us. God is the initiator of the relationship. But at the same time, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before Christ, he then endured the cross. He despised the shame. What joy? What joy is that? To fulfill the Father's plan, which was you. <laughs> There is an element where we are part of that story. All that he did, all that he went through. Now, he did it. We want to keep that right, but it's because he loved you. And sometimes we can, because of circumstance, doubt that and question that. And Peter's like, God didn't redeem you with perishable things. He, he gave his son for you. And the implication of that is, think about, know then how much God loves you. And notice too, from, what did we get redeemed from? Our aimless conduct. In other translations, it reads futile or empty. It's like, what was the redemption value on the other side of that equation? What did God get when he gave his son? What do, we, what do we bring to the table? I say this in love, you ready? Nothing. We bring nothing. You ever been invited to someone's house for dinner and for whatever reason, maybe you're running late or you just, you know, you get off work and, and, you, show, and, you, and you bring nothing? And you show up and like they've, they've, they've like labored for a day and a half, right? Like you know, all this stuff. Like I don't know about you, but I feel like a terrible guest. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And usually I just blame Christy. She was running late, you know, and you'll take one for the team, right, babe? I feel so bad. I bring nothing. Sometimes, you know, maybe we're like, okay, we got to bring something. So you stop at the convenience store and you get, you know, 100 yen bread or whatever. And, 
And then you show up and, you know, and the host has made like everything from scratch and the guests bring all this in from scratch and there you are with your melon pond and your <laughs> shrimp chips, you know, like, here's what I brought, you know, we can cut the melon pond 30 ways. <laughs> well, you know what we bring to the equation compared to what God puts in the deal? We bring nothing. And yet God's okay with that. You realize that? What he redeemed for you, redeemed you and me out of our aimless conduct. And so it's a good, it's a, you know, Peter's writing like, what do we need to know? We need to remember. We need to remember that our life outside of Christ was empty, corrupted, damaged, wrecked, and scarred by sin. This idea received by the tradition from our father's you know, some Bible commentators believe that it, it, it alludes to the idea that this is just part of our generational sin, right? This is all the way back to Adam, our great, 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 great grandfather, who blew it in the garden and we received the sin nature from our fathers. It's part of our, we're born with a sin nature. And Jesus Christ then dove into, if I can say it this way, the dumpster of our life, and pulled us out, well, really traded places, and, and, and brought us into the family of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifted me out of the slimy pit of despair, one translation reads, out of the mud and the mire. Another translation reads the, the clay, the miry clay. Dirty and thick, sticky, it says, and he lifted us up out and he set us upon a rock and he, and he gave us a firm place to stand. Psalm 40, verse 2. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's the third thing if you're a note taker. Peter wants us to know how much God values your life and the worth that he ascribes to you, that he would send his only son, that Jesus Christ would give his life for you and for me. And this descriptor of him as the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or with spot. You know, Peter's, uh, part, a good part of his audience are Jewish believers, right? They're first century Christians who um, grew up in the Jewish faith, and so they would be tracking with this reference easily. Right, under the Mosaic law, if we were living in these times, if you and I blew it, we messed up, right? You, you yelled at your kids, you, 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 know, you kicked your cat, you, you sinned. In order for you and for me to then receive forgiveness, to be redeemed of that sin, we then had to either go to the tabernacle or the temple, and we had to bring an offering. And depending on what we did in the certain seasons, you'd, you'd have to bring an animal sacrifice. And so you'd bring this innocent animal to the high priest, and the high priest then would inspect it to make sure that you didn't bring the junky one. Because God would say, he, we, he, you know, which he does, right? He deserves our best. You guys ever watch the, those dog shows? What's that one we watched, babe? The, 
the Westminster, you guys remember that Westminster dog show? We watched some documentary. It was pretty fascinating. But those dogs that win like best of show and uh, best of breed, that they are highly scrutinized. Like the judges go and they like, measure the tail and the teeth and the bone structure and their gait and everything. It's quite the process. So in a similar way, the high priest, when you came and brought your lamb offering, they would inspect it. And if it had jacked up teeth or, you know, it didn't sit right, they're like, nope, go get another one. It had to be perfect. They would inspect it. And if it was perfect, then you would put your hands on it and then you would confess your sins. I was a jerk to my kids. I was a jerk to my spouse. Uh, you know, I, I lied. You, whatever it was, you would confess your sins. The high priest would then take your innocent lamb, that innocent sacrifice that you confessed by transference of, of confession, your sins upon this innocent life, and that innocent life then was sacrificed in your place as a very graphic visual of how much sin, right, the cost of sin. And in that process, though, this is what I love about it. You're not inspected. The sacrifice is inspected. The high priest didn't walk around and say, okay, let me see your teeth. Because, you know, you already know about my teeth situation. He didn't say, well, let's see your, you know, your bone structure. And all oh, your shoulders slope slightly to the left. Like, go to the chiropractor, get out of here. Like, you and I aren't inspected. The sacrifice needed to be spotless and perfect. And it's a beautiful, powerful picture of the gospel. Because we come and we're not perfect. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But who is? Jesus is. Jesus, our Passover lamb, Paul would call him, by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot because of Christ's perfection. We have been accepted. God accepts you and me, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus was. Tried and tempted and found to be without sin. And then by his blood, his precious blood, his life, God, because he loved you, gave him, redeemed him for you and for me. And then Peter says, for he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. It's hard to kind of wrap our mind around the idea that God had this planned out even before we, you know, breathe our first breath. From the beginning of time, God was thinking about this, planning this. Several years ago, I was in the States for a conference, and uh, we had a break, so I went to uh, a nearby mall there in Temecula in uh, California and went for dinner. And as I'm walking through the mall, it was at that time a couple years ago where a lot of those wheel buy your gold, you know, shops were popping up, kind of kiosks. And so as I'm walking through the mall, I was like, oh, I'm curious. So I, I went in and I asked uh, how much I could get for my gold wedding ring. And so I give it to the guy, he does all the tests, and he comes back, he says, oh, I'll give you like 150 bucks, something like that. I'm like, oh, that's more than I paid at JCPenney's for it. So uh, on the spot, 
uh, unplanned, I hawked my wedding ring. True story. And I got 150 bucks for it. So I got a carne asada burrito from Alberto's. All right. Amen. We testify. And, and, then, and then a new titanium ring, which I later hawked because I went silicone. Anyways. But I, I called Christy. I called Christy. I'm like, guess what I did today, honey? No, just, I asked her ahead of time. So she's in the back. She can vouch for it. Best trade I ever made, though. Listen, God didn't redeem us on a whim. It wasn't an afterthought. He wasn't like, ooh, that group's really messed up. What are we going to do about this now? God planned your redemption. God planned our rescue before time began. That Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That God was already planning to do this. And it's a, it's a beautiful, powerful image. And again, it's hard to put our brain around because, right, we're, we're finite. God's infinite. But that Jesus Christ has always been the Lamb of God, was and is and will always be. In the Gospels, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and John the Baptist sees him, he makes a declaration. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You get to the book of Revelation. And it's not John the Baptist, but John the Beloved's writing. And he has this scene in heaven in Revelation 13. And the scene is of Christ. And the, and the, the comment that's made or the verse that's made of, of Jesus is, behold, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. See, in many ways, the Old Testament points us to Christ as the Lamb of God. And, and when Abraham went to sacrifice his son, Isaac, one of the questions that Isaac asks, well, maybe it's just the only question is, where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, by faith, says God will provide himself a sacrifice. I mean, you believe he's talking about God will provide not for himself, but himself. God himself will be that sacrifice. So the Old Testament question is, where's the lamb? The New Testament answers it. Behold the lamb of God. And for all of eternity, we're going to declare that worthy is the lamb. And so verse 20 reminds us that Christ has been and is and always will be the lamb of God. And that God planned this. Notice the phrasing, in these last times may manifest for you, to you and for you. And so first of all, we need to understand that we are not some cosmic accident. What this verse tells us very clearly, and I hope that you know this, is that God had a divine plan. And he had a divine plan for redemption. And God had a, a divine plan ahead of time for redemption for you, for you. And that means then that God has a divine plan and purpose for your life. The world wants to tell us differently. The, the world ideology says, oh, we came randomly by happen chance, some, 
we, we were the goo, then we went to the zoo, and then you became you. <laughs> right? And the Bible says, nope. We are made in the image of God. Every human bears the image of God. And by that, then intrinsically, we have value. We have worth. And it's the live Satan that would ever say, you have, and we lie to ourselves sometimes, that I have no value, nobody cares, nobody loves me. God made a mistake when he made me. No, no, he didn't. That is a lie. You know how much God loves you? He didn't bring a bazillion cans to the recycle center. He didn't go and try to get gold out of computers. He gave his only begotten son for you. That's how much God loves you. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And nobody gets to tell you otherwise. Peter continues and he says, verse 21, who through him, Christ, right? We, we believe, we believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I imagine again, church family, I, I know many of you that you know the Lord and love the Lord. You have a healthy walk with Jesus. And so this is just repeating those things that we know. It is through Jesus Christ in whom we believe. It is through Jesus Christ in whom we then have a relationship with God the Father. It was God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. It was God the Father who then glorified Christ forevermore. And Peter is careful and important to remind us of the resurrection, which in a few weeks we're going to we're going to gather with other churches and please be in prayer for that. And please be praying about who you want to invite. We, did I mention this? Is this first service or second service? I can't remember now. Anyway, I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> uh, we're going to be at the Kadena Cultural Center. It's close to the backside of gate four, right? That gate that's never open. Uh, we reserved the whole thing, the whole building. The main auditorium seats 934. And our heart and prayer is that we're going to fill it. And so pray about who you're going to invite, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbor, the nice person at Mr. Donut. Just invite them. Right? We're going to partner with Calvary Naha and with Alex at Kadena. And we're going to celebrate and we're going to proclaim the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, because if there's no resurrection, if there's no resurrection at all, then, then Christ didn't, Christ wasn't raised. And he has this kind of logical pattern. If that's the case, if Christ then hasn't been raised, then guess what? Our preaching then is useless. It's a waste of time. And if our preaching is useless and Christ didn't raise, then guess what? Your faith then is futile. We're believing in a lie. And he said, then all of the apostles and all that they've done, it, they would just be lying. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, people have said it, that, that's the hinge in which our faith swings. Peter gives us the facts. We believe in God who raised Christ from the dead. 
And it's, again, it's an affirmation. What do we need to know? We need to know that upon the fact that Christ lived and died and rose again, your faith and your hope are secured. And, and really, the question of that is, do you believe that? Do you know this? So if you don't know this, guess what? Today, you can. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith, today you can. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. To know that God expects perfection, but none of us are perfect. No matter how hard you try, how good you are, nothing of our efforts will ever get us to the bar. But God did everything because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And the Bible then says for us, if we then believe that, we place our faith, we say, okay, I, I get it. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. And yet I understand that God loved me and God provided a way for me then. Like the man who says, here's the ticket. I'll trade places with you. You give me yours. I'll give you mine. The Bible says that then if we believe in our heart, in our soul, in our being, and then we confess with our mouth. We, we affirm, we articulate, I believe that. Then you'll be saved. Saved from sin. Saved from penalty of our sin. And it's not so much the words that we say. Ultimately, it's the posture of your heart. But today's a great day for us to have communion. In light of our message... These verses that remind us of the tremendous price that God paid for us. The goodness of God and the love of God that he would send his only begotten son for you and for me. And the word of God then instructs us as followers of Christ and believers of Christ to remind ourselves of this. As often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are to do so in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And so there's the one part where we get to look back and remember as often as we do this, what Christ has done for us. But there's also an element where we're looking forward because Christ is coming back soon. And as often as we eat and as often as we drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's, there's an element of hope that's infused into this. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll just kind of give my paraphrase. And he just recites what happened on that night. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he blessed it, he broke it, and he handed it to the disciples, and he said, take this, eat this, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner, he'd take the cup, and then he would say something shocking, a little provocative, He'd take the cup and he'd say, this is my blood. Take and drink. Now that Passover meal was already very symbolic and significant for the Jewish person. Because it, it pointed back to a history when God would save their, their people out of Egypt and so they did that to remember God's goodness of saving their people. Jesus, in that same meal, amplifies the meaning of it. 
And then we get to realize, oh, God, in the same way God saved us, not, not from Egypt, but we're saved from the bondage of our sin. And then by the body and the blood of Christ, who is the Passover lamb, who gave his life for you and for me. And so this simple, very simple little meal becomes a tangible reminder of the gospel, of the love and the goodness of God. The bread represents his body, which was broken for you. And the cup represents his blood, which was shed for you and for me. And Paul then writes and says two things. When we partake, it's a declaration. We proclaim. And we proclaim and we proclaim our identity. We belong to God. We proclaim our affections. And we proclaim our anticipation. Christ is coming back. And the second thing that we do is, he says we're to make an evaluation. So we make a declaration and we're to make an evaluation. Let every person examine themselves. Do a little heart check. Lord, where am I with you today? My intentions, my attitude, my actions. And if we've been off, we gotten sideways with the Lord, God's so gracious, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so as the guys come, they're going to serve you. As the worship team comes, just take a moment. Allow the spirit to search your heart. Confess, repent, rejoice, remember. And just spend some time with the Lord. Make a way. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning in your word. As we come before you now in worship of song, of partaking of the bread and the cup. Lord, search our hearts. Forgive us, God, of our, of our sins, selfishness, our bad attitudes, our faithlessness, our laziness. Lord, whatever, whatever it be, and we trust your spirit will show us. And Lord, we want to confess that and repent of that. And, and Lord, just to spend a sweet time with you. It's, it's a simple thing, yet it's really significant. And we don't want to come with irreverence. But to allow your spirit to continue just to minister to our hearts. And Father, while we're praying, I, we provide opportunity now. If there's anybody who has yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. As we're praying, if that's you, you can know right now, today, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, that you realize that you, like me, are a sinner. We're born with this nature. And that we repent from that. We just turn from that. And the Bible says that when we do, we turn away from that. We turn towards God as God is calling you to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth you'll be saved. Father, I pray that 
you would draw all those today. That they wouldn't fight you, but they'd surrender. And Lord, then together as a church family, we worship you and we remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, what we're going to do is uh, the guys are going to serve you the communion cup and it's double cupped. We've been doing it because of COVID days, but the bread's on the bottom, the juice is on the top. So just be careful as you're pulling it. And, and I'd like to invite you just as you feel led between you and the Lord, if you're with your family, maybe, you know, as a family, just have a time of communion. Really just a simple little meal. Uh, it's open hearts, open homes with Jesus. And uh, we'll just do that for a few minutes because I hear the bell. But there's no third service, so we're good. <laughs> All right, let's worship the Lord and have time to communicate. pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace in our lives. None of it we deserve. But Lord, because of your great mercy and your love, because of who you are and your love for us, you sent Jesus to live, to die, to be raised to life again, all for us, that you might make us your people. That's amazing grace, Lord. And I pray, Father, for all of us that that truth, that beautiful, beautiful, wonderful truth would sink deep, deep into our hearts and souls. And Lord, that we would know these things that Peter lays out for us. That we would be convinced of them and assured of them. What it means to be your kid. Our identity in you. Lord, may we, may the application today that we would just Allow that truth to permeate our heart and soul. We be saturated in that. Overcome and overwhelmed by that. To your praise and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.